0: Generational thinking is an incredibly powerful idea that's been horribly
1: corrupted by terrible stereotypes, myths, and cliches. Today on In Session, Leading the Judiciary, we talk with public policy expert Bobby Duffy about his book, The Generation Myth, Why When You're Born Matters Less Than You Think. Duffy discusses what's real and not so real about differences among generations. Stereotypes like baby boomers hate technology and millennials are lazy not only lack support, but can be dangerous, creating division and distracting from real issues. Duffy argues that to understand how different generations shape society, it's essential to consider the political, economic, and cultural contexts impacting everyone, and the life-cycle changes common to all generations. Bobby Duffy is Professor of Public Policy and Director of the Policy Institute at King's College London, and previously was Director of Global Research at Ipsos MORI and the Ipsos Social Research Institute. His first book, Why We're Wrong About Nearly Everything, published in 2019, examined the causes and consequences of human delusion. Special thanks to today's guest host, Angela Long, Senior Education Specialist for Executive Education at the FJC. Angela, take it away.
2: Bobby, thank you for joining us this afternoon for the podcast. We're grateful to have you as our guest and to spend some time talking about your fascinating book, The Generation Myth." and kind of dispelling some of the myths that we're all so familiar with. So in your book, you say a lot about what we've been told is generational, actually, in fact, is not. So first things first, what is a generation and how are we defining it today?
0: It's absolutely brilliant to be here. I'm really looking forward to the discussion, Angela. And generations, as, as I talk about them here, are birth cohorts generation. So they're defined by when you were born. Um, And in in the book, I try to keep it quite simple. So I just break it down into five main adult generations that we have right now. Uh, The pre-war generation, so those born before 1945. And in the US, it's quite often broken down further into silent generation and greatest generation. But I just group them together because there's not that many of them in the population now. Then you have baby boomers, a massive generation born 1945 to 1965, uh, really was the result of a baby boom. Then you have Generation X, which is my generation, the best of all generations in, <laughs> in many ways, but never talked about, hardly ever talked about in generational analysis. And we were born 1966 to 1979. Uh, then you have uh, millennials. Again, very famous, high-profile generation, particularly compared to Generation X. Uh, got a lot of blame for killing lots of things across uh, social media and media reports. And they they were born nineteen eighty in 1995. And then finally, Generation Z or Generation Z in the US, um, which is 1996, kind of onwards, up to 2012-ish. We don't quite know the end point of that yet, but there's already people talking about the next generation of Generation Alpha, which are effectively still kids. Um, So we, we don't know much about them as
2: yet. So how does what you call true generational thinking differ from more traditional ideas about generations?
0: Yeah, I guess if I was summing up the book, trying to sum up the whole book and all the analysis that we've done in one sentence, it would be that generational thinking is an incredibly powerful idea that's been horribly corrupted by terrible stereotypes, myths, and cliches driven by media and social media reporting and and stereotyping. But true generational thinking is actually incredibly powerful and it goes back to some of the biggest thinkers in philosophy and sociology people like Auguste Comte uh, the French philosopher who actually thought generational change was the key driver of how societies change and uh, there's a Hungarian sociologist called Carl Mannheim, who gave us a lot of our thinking that I, we still use today about how generation effects show themselves. And and really, there's, there's only three types of change that explain all change in society. First of all, there's period effects where something happens uh, and we're all affected, regardless of when we were born or our age. So things like an economic crisis or a pandemic, but also changing fashions and cultural norms count as period effects. Then you have life cycle effects which are uh, we change as we age um, and go through different life stages. Um, as you come out of education, get a job, uh, get married, have kids, and then retire. all of those different things shift us and in, in our, our thinking behaviors and uh, uh, opinions. And then finally you have cohort effects, which are true generational effects where a generation is different from other generations and stays different throughout their. Uh, life cycle to some degree. And this is this is where the big confusion comes is people mix up these effects. They, in particular, they ascribe things as cohort effects, gen- true generational differences, when we're really talking about life cycle effects. And, and in particular, we uh, mix up these effects for young people So we look at the behavior of young generations and we say that's a Gen Z characteristic or a millennial characteristic when really it's just a young person characteristic that they will grow out of as we did. So understanding those three things, I I use this three-way split of period effects, life cycle effects and cohort effects almost every day in my thinking about what sort of change we're seeing in society and it's a really useful framework to bear in mind.
2: You said the stereotypes have become pervasive.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the problem is we very quickly trip into caricaturing. Once you give something a label and you think you know something about them, you very quickly roll in other characteristics and think the whole of that group is is like that. And really, the task is to unpick which of those three effects is dominant. in a change and uh, and it's really important to understand that because you know if some if generations are truly different from each other then that's a key not just to understanding now but understanding the future but the other effects are really powerful too one is not more important than the other life cycle effects are really powerful period effects are really powerful so you just need to unpick them carefully
2: So I thought it might be helpful for our listeners to name some of the generational stereotypes. Some of the ones that come up for me are, for example, baby boomers dislike technology, they resist learning new things, and they're retired in place. Millennials are lazy, entitled and disloyal job hoppers mm. and Gen Zers prioritize autonomy and work-life balance. Are there others that that you would mention that you hear a lot?
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so many <laughs> so many it's more stereotypes than reality, um more myths than reality, unfortunately. Uh, and then there are really important realities that get lost in all those myths. Um no, I think I mean there's there's many some of the the most damaging ones are things around for example climate change where there is this very clear strong suggestion and impression that older people don't care about climate change so when time magazine made Greta Thunberg their person of the year in 2019 they called her uh, an avatar in a generational battle between old and young and that sets a really terrible tone about it's only young people that care about climate Not older people but actually when you look at the data on this first of all the younger people are slightly more likely to say climate change is a serious thing but it's a matter of a handful of percentage points difference between say gen z and baby boomers there is no meaningful gap anymore. And then second, even even more important in many ways, this is actually Generation X and younger baby boomers who are more likely to boycott products or services for social purpose reasons than the youngest generation, partly because they're a bit wealthier, they've got more choice, and and maybe you do get a bit grumpier as you get older. <laughs> so you kind <laughs> of probably act on that more. Um, so note that, and that's, so that's a really destructive one because it's sending a message that's not true—not just not true, but divides us on an issue that we need to come together on uh, across generations.
2: So how do these stereotypes, I mean, they're so pervasive, how do they come to be and why do they persist?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I do think there is that, that point of it's a human trait to categorize things into one group or another on the basis of some information and then to generalize from that. Um, because there's a lot of cognitive overload on us as humans and we the particularity of every situation too hard for us to think through. So these labels provide really handy shorthands for this type of person and this type of person. And we like to define things by what they are and what they're not. So they quite often end up in opposition. So there's a there's an element in which this is a storytelling aspect of humans to make sense of the world. I do think there is also this sense of rosy retrospection is another absolutely key bias that we have, where we tend to forget the bad from the past, which is a, a useful psychological trick that we, we have for ourselves, for our own health. But it has a downside of making us think that today and the future is worse than it actually is because we forget what the past was like and you can see that a lot in generational work because we always think today's young are the worst that has ever been in history that is kind (laughs) of regardless of what era you go to you always see exactly the same pattern of thinking that today's young are uniquely wrong and weird um, compared to everyone else and and you go back to Socrates 400 BC He had a massive long diatribe against young people of his day <laughs> calling them lazy and love of gossip in place of activity and having bad manners and you could just translate it to today um, very very easily and you can get, but you can go to any era and you will see the same um, sort of thing and that's partly that we forget that we were also <laughs> annoying <laughs> and uh, weird to our parents and um, in, in our day. So there are these biases that push us in, in these types of um, directions.
2: So that's pretty amazing to think 400 BC <laughs> and you could still translate it to today.
0: Yeah. We did actually ask a, in a survey in the UK of. Uh, we, we read out a big passage of Socrates writing about young people, uh, but asked people whether it applied to young people today. And over half of people agreed <laughs> that it did. So there is this sort of <laughs> constant. <laughs> A uh, constant sense that it's it's the same patterns again and again repeated.
2: What does your research reveal about the truth behind some of these generational stereotypes? And can you give us some examples of where research has really kind of dispelled some of these stereotypes?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the workplace is is a really key place to be very clear about the reality of differences between generations, because it's one of the areas where some of the noisiest myths and stereotypes come from. There's an economic element to this where if you say that this new generation is completely different and you need to do completely different things and understand them completely differently, you'll need advice on that and how to do it. And we, we have the answer to that. So there is a lot in the workplace about younger generations being particularly disloyal to their employers or being particularly lazy in terms of working fewer hours or just interested in their own advancement, not the overall corporation or organisation. And none of those are seen are are true um, in any meaningful sense. Uh, It's true that young people change jobs more than older people uh, early on in their career, but that's always been the case. And if anything, the thing that has changed most in the workplace is older people moving jobs more than older people did in the past um, it's because job, jobs for life have gone to some degree and there is a bit more flexibility in the in the labor market. So, so young people are not acting that differently from before. The working hours thing is interesting is because this is a mix up more of a period effect with a cohort effect, because working hours have been declining historically, you know, over the long sweep of history, they have gone down quite significantly for people. So younger people, yes, are working less than younger people in the past. But those types of areas are, are really um, dangerous myths for people. And the trouble is, it masks some really, really important cha- economic changes, where it just absolutely is the case that younger generations have had a tougher economic environment and context compared to baby boomers in particular who did benefit from the boom period where there was huge stock market growth huge house price growth so they accumulated an awful lot of wealth and and wage growth and then as it came particularly in the US as it came to Gen X wages started stagnating and people were more locked out of the housing market and then particularly with millennials who suffered from The housing price boom and then crash around the financial crash and tighter lending rules and so many other changes in in economic context that they've actually had a much tougher economic time Um, so while you see all of this uh, blaming, victim blaming really of they're eating too many avocados or they've got this Netflix lifestyle and gym subscription lifestyle that means that's why they can't own their own home or that's why they're not financially solvent it's nothing to do with that. It is all to do with this changing period effect context of much tougher economic times. The tragedy is instead of people recognizing the changed context, what they tend to go to is blaming the victim. It's called fundamental attribution bias, where uh, if something goes wrong for someone else we think it's down to their character. If something goes wrong for us we think it's down to the context being more difficult. And that's really important because it means that uh, they get less help, that the policy and political context for them, I mean, it doesn't bend towards their needs, um, partly because there's more powerful political demographics in older generations, but partly because of this, these sorts of biases as well, that people don't recognize the problem.
2: How can these generational stereotypes negatively impact employees, particularly, and managers in mm. the workplace?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. There are real costs and risks to this. There is something really weird about how we would ascribe a negative characteristic like lazy or disloyal to a generation that we would never ascribe to another protected characteristic like a race or a gender or even an age group, that would be seen as as clearly as prejudice. But but generations seem to get a free pass on, you can say anything about millennials or baby boomers. And that's very destructive in terms of setting a tone within an organisation. So I think it, you can waste a lot of money on this type of astrological thinking. And a lot of it is really astrological, where in some, some quite serious seminars and um, books on generations in the workplace they will say things like um, generation x is cynical compared to millennials millennials like team working where gen z like to work alone and you're like (laughs) 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 these are like this could be you could apply exactly the same to taurus or capricorn and you would be just as uh, accurate not just a, a waste of money potentially but also a Uh, a negative, have a negative consequence on working relationships between groups.
2: It's fostering division.
0: And and that is one of the sadnesses because I am one of the big trends in generations over the years is how different age groups and cohorts are living much more separately now than in the past. And this is a real, real trend in the US and the UK, where some US academics who talk about this as a dangerous experiment in age segregation. And that's tragic because we know that both generations, both ends of the generational spectrum really benefit from intergenerational connection. And so this is why workplaces become really, really important because we've lost lots of the places, physical places, where older and younger generations come together, but the workplace is still one of those. If we encourage that connection rather than trying to say everyone is very different across the generations.
2: So as you were describing that, I was thinking that so many workplaces are teleworking or hybrid going forward. Would that be a period effect?
0: It's a good question on two levels. First, if you're at a particularly formative stage of your career or life, when these big shocks happen, then that can have bigger repercussions for you later. And we see that in COVID more generally, that young people, people going through transitions um, from school to uh, higher education to higher education into the workplace were particularly vulnerable to the effects of COVID. The second reason it's really interesting is lots of people who look at organisational development have been worried about the extent to which more remote working generally will affect the career development of younger people. So we actually did a study in London on the London workforce on this and the interesting thing was that while we're worried about young people's opportunities for advancement and learning through osmosis and observation the young people themselves were really buoyant about hybrid working and saying actually that they feel positive about their opportunities to ask questions uh, their opportunities to put themselves forward for things they actually themselves viewed this as quite a positive development so there's a really interesting question here about whether that's a naive view from young people and they just don't realize what they're missing out on that they can't see how people deal with difficult situations or there are some benefits from this new environment that young, maybe young people are right and this isn't going to halt their development if we can extract the good from the technology and this new way of working
2: okay, there's a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions, but are there any real generational differences and what caused them and what what are their impacts?
0: Yeah, there are the huge differences and um, really important ones that, and that's some of the tragedy of this myths and stereotypes getting in the way because it's really useful to understand change. And so a lot of them are economic. Some of the negative impacts of the much slower economic growth much lower wage growth and particularly private wealth growth have utterly changed the life story for young some groups of young people. And it goes all the way through from that into many other sorts of behaviour. So that one of my favourites is around alcohol consumption and it's an incredibly generational behaviour in the sense of regular alcohol consumption. So in, in the UK for example around 30 percent of the pre-war generation drink alcohol five times or more a week it goes down to about 25 percent of the baby boomers and 15 percent of generation x and then down to like five percent of millennials and 0.2 percent of gen z and it's incredibly flat lines over time so we people have been socialized into very different relationships with alcohol where it was just the norm to have regular drinking and it's becoming increasingly less so and and they seem to be fairly stable patterns that are staying with people as they go through different stages of their, their life cycle so this is that that those types of things that you can only really see by looking at generations and they're they're important behaviors even if it's relatively small <laughs>
2: Are there any other rapid technological or social changes that come to mind for you? And can you share some of those examples?
0: Yeah, technology is a crucial element of generational formation and then change and, and separation in many ways. And and that goes all the way back to people like Carl Mannheim who thought about generations. But when he was talking about technology being vital to understanding generational formation, he was thinking about control of the means of production, really, because he was writing in the turn of the 20th century when there was a big move towards industrialization and and more um, higher tech industries for those days. And that, for him, was like a move of power from older people with older skills to younger people with younger skills. The, The trouble with our understanding of tech technology affecting generations today is it tends to be trivialized into who's on the latest social media platform and who isn't. There's a million failed attempts at naming generations around technologies, uh, you know, the Nintendo generation or TikTok generation or uh, whatever. And really, it's those bigger trends that are really important to, to understand for technology. The a kind of huge transformation of our information environment. During the growing up phase for a particular generation that is a really big and important trend Uh, there's lots of lots of benefits of that of connection for people but there are also very worrying signs has to be said about its impact on mental health um, for young people and young women in particular so I do think technology is vitally important from an economic sense and then from these complete transformations of our information environment, but it's much less about those trivial technological platforms that you will see often linked to explaining a generation.
2: It's a little overwhelming to yeah. think about, particularly when you think about the advent of the iPhone. So we're, we're really only talking in the last 15 years, less than 15 yeah. years.
0: Yeah, it's all very short term and we, we won't understand the full implications for some time and the, the risk is if you too quickly say this is all about smartphones or social media um, you miss the much bigger more complex patterns and then you're looking in the wrong place and you're taking the wrong sorts of actions
2: so in the book you talk about the scam of generational <laughs> workplace research what what is that
0: as effectively as we were talking about it is that that playing on managers and leaders' uncertainty about younger generations in particular, to sell them, to more or less create a problem, to sell them the solution to that problem. And that that is the worry. And it, it sort of, it, it does connect some of the themes that we've been talking about, because partly why leaders of organizations feel more uncertain now is because of that trend we were talking about, about actually generations live more separately now. And the more separately you live, the less you understand each other, less contact you have between each other, the more alien you seem to each other. So people are coming into the workplace not having as much connection uh, across the generations and age groups. So everything feels a bit stranger. And I see this a lot in a university environment where there's nothing in any of my data that says that this generation of young people coming through have particularly unusual attitudes on social issues or... Or behaviors in 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 most respects um, every generation is different and but they're not changing at a rate or a massive step change from the differences that you see between younger and older people in in the past but a lot of the lecturers and uh, professors feel more alienate, uh, alienated from them and that is partly because they don't see them <laughs> as much anymore they're in separate physical areas they're in separate digital spaces where they're doing uh, the professor's and lecturers may be online, but they're not in the same on the same platforms doing the same things as the young people. So we're living parallel to each other. And when you come into contact in those sorts of circumstances, the other side is always going to seem a bit weird to you. And that's, that is part of the driver for asking people to come in and tell you how to do it, when actually it doesn't need that. It doesn't need the big generalisations of cynical one generation cynical, one's open-minded, those types of things. It needs connection between people and and positive forums for them to do that.
2: What should organizational leaders and managers be doing that would be helpful?
0: The old theories of contact theory is still very powerful. Um, it needs to be in the right circumstances, working towards a common aim or a Something that uh, people can get behind uh, with the right sort of power dynamics and uh, all set up well. But that's exactly the sort of environment that good workplaces can create. There is a natural ad- advantage to the workplace because we are all there to do a job and achieve something. So it's more about that, it's more about making those sort of spaces for connection. I would really, really encourage people to be cautious with their use of generational labels at all in workplaces or elsewhere, really. It's quite often what we're really talking about is 18 to 20, 28 year olds. That's roughly what Gen Z is now in the workplace. So talk about 18 to 28 year olds, don't talk about Gen Z because it's gonna be a feature of their youth as much as their cohort and creating this sense of identity that's actually not going to stay with that cohort we should drop these labels because um, quite, quite a lot of uh, very high quality analysis from Pew uses these types of labels. And I think the conclusion from that for me was we shouldn't ditch the labels for that type of proper generational cohort analysis that's looking at generations over time, but we should uh, drop or seriously consider every time you want to use a generational label for a snapshot, uh, you should think twice and probably not do it.
2: Thinking about what really matters, why do you say the bigger question is what work is? Yeah, I think
0: there's some massive changes coming in through technology and particularly artificial intelligence and how that is going to shift what we do. I'm sure people will have played around with chat GPT and other AI tools now and how remarkable they are at uh, mimicking some aspects of what humans can do more in the knowledge space than in the physical space technology and then artificial intelligence is going to transform the world of work but we don't know quite in what ways it's always been the case that um, the technology has definitely made some jobs redundant um, and definitely made other jobs simpler and quicker Um, but it's always grown the pie bigger than the loss of the jobs so the question marks right now are really can that continue or will there come a point of acceleration of what the technology can do that actually means there is not as much work for humans to do um, and this is not necessarily a bad thing at all That you may have seen recently there has been a four-day week experiment in the UK and in the US uh, that shows that actually that four-day week works really well productivity goes up unaffected um from that four-day week and much greater satisfaction among the employees so so much so that this trial I think it's like nine and ten of the companies in this trial are going to continue with it beyond the trial because it just seems to work so there is going to be these types of changes which you know you really probably couldn't have imagined 10, 20 years ago from a generational perspective it's very easy to forget that uh, while it's true previous industrial revolutions did transform our productivity and made it better for everyone, eventually there were decades of disruption <laughs> between the beginning and end of those that really was not good for people caught up in it.
2: So do you feel like that's the future leaders should be preparing for?
0: I think we, we should be looking for the opportunity not just the risk and um and I suppose it is it's it's really hard as you get older like me um to be open-minded about these kind of big changes because and it's like this is absolutely natural and in fact essential to the movement of society is if we as a slightly later career person are not uh uncomfortable about the changes we're seeing then society is probably not changing enough feeling discomfort is actually a good sign there's demographers in the 1950s who talked about uh, generations as a type of demographic metabolism that keeps society from becoming a stagnant pond so it's not dissimilar to your kid's music taste if you don't hate your kid's music taste um then, then something's <laughs> then probably something's gone wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yes yeah. well i love the idea of that's normal in your research has shown that prior generations have felt the same way yeah. um and that it's actually necessary for progress yeah Bobby Duffy, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your thoughts and ideas about the generation myth Mm. and your book. And we want to encourage our listeners to read it. And we hope they will. And we appreciate the opportunity to dig into it a little bit with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. That was really great. Thanks, Angela.
1: Thanks, Angela. And thanks to our listeners. To hear more episodes of this podcast, visit the Executive Education page on fjc.dcn and click or tap podcast. You can also search for and subscribe to this podcast on your mobile device. In Session, Leading the Judiciary is produced by Shella Easter. Our program is supported by Angela Long, Anna Glashkova, and the entire studio and live production team. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This podcast was produced at U.S. taxpayer expense.